It's good to see everybody here tonight. It's a wonderful privilege to be able to have a beautiful day and then to use that day to study God's Word together. For those of you who are visiting with us, this is the first Sunday of the month, and on Sunday evenings we have questions and answers. And I will tell you that I do not choose the questions. I've had two or three people say, who asked those questions? I don't know who asked them all. Some uh, send them to me by email. Some put them on cards on my desk. But uh, I try not to call any of the questions. Occasionally I'll try to combine two or three. But I'm going to address two tonight. And Lord willing, if you want to make it to services at West Riverside tonight, I'll try to leave you enough time to be able to be there. And by the way, they do start at 7.30 tonight, so you will have a few more minutes to be able to make it there. The world today causes us to pause and ask some questions. What is God's view on many of the things that are a part of our society today? Things that even five years ago, ten years ago, were not even really a part of our concern. And the question arises, does the Bible address this issue? My suggestion to you is the Bible does address the issue. It may not address the specifics of what you're talking about, but the principles are there. And I believe that you can find all the answers that you need within God's Word. I am fully convinced that what the Apostle Paul wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is absolutely true. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Everything that man needs. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, God's divine power has granted unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue. But beyond what does God say on the subject, what does God expect me to do when I confront some of these situations in life? Well, let me suggest to you that I think there is a really key passage found in Jeremiah 6 and verse 16. The people of God during that time were just doing everything, in fact, in verse 15, he said, Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. And so then he tells them in verse 16, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. God's saying, I want you to look here at the crossroads, the ways, plural. And he says, I want you to ask which one does God want me to walk on? Sadly, they said, we'll not walk in it. They were not going to do what God wanted them to do. Well, the two questions that I have tonight, the first one is, what is transgenderism and how do we as Christians address it? I'm going to tell you, this is not one that I want to address um, I feel uncomfortable talking about some of these issues because I don't think they're really appropriate for my uh, perspective to be dealt with publicly. But our children are hearing this and seeing this every day. And if they don't hear us address it, at least 
in some manner of decorum, they're going to be confused and not know what's right and what's wrong. Let me define, because that was the question. Transgenderism is denoting or relating to a person whose sense of personal identity and gender does not correspond with their birth sex. What that means, if they were born a boy, they don't think they're a boy. Or if they were born a girl, they don't think that they are a girl. I will tell you, when I was growing up, one of the shows on television was MASH, and there was a man played that part, Corporal Klinger, and he was trying to get a Section 8 to be drummed out of the military. And so what he did, he dressed up like a woman and tried to get thrown out of the military. And that was a joke. In psychology, it is generally referred to as a mental disorder. And it's called gender dysphoria. That means that a person is confused about that. And the attempt now is not to call it a mental illness. Up until just a few years ago, it was listed as one of the mental illnesses. But now they're saying, let's don't call it a mental illness. Let's just say it's a a confusion. Let's say it's a disorder. And now there's even an attempt to try to not even call it a disorder. I will tell you the terminology has changed to reflect a political and a social debate. This is a part of the LGBTQ and a bunch of other letters uh, community and movement. The L stands for lesbians. The G stands for gays. The B stands for bisexual. The T stands for transgenders. And then the Q stands for those who are queer. And that's their terminology. When you read the literature about this, here's what it comes out. They speak now of gender assignment. And what they're suggesting is, is that the doctor that is there, when the baby is born, looks and says, if it looks like a male and it has the XY chromosomes, then it's a male and this is a boy. Or if it has the female parts then and it has the two X chromosomes, then it's a girl. But they're saying that the doctor is the one who assigns that, not necessarily they're born like that. And they will speak as if they are trapped in the body of the opposite sex. In other words, I'm a boy and I want to be a girl. I'm a girl and I want to be a boy. Well, here's the question. Is this disorder nature or nurture? Are the people who are promoting this, is this something that they're born with, that they have this, uh, that God made them that way? Or is this something that people have placed within them? Well, let me point out to you that there are some cases of genetic and biological maladies. Uh, I have a good friend who's a preacher, and he talked about his son. I believe he was born 30 years ago this last week, and he was born without a left hand. That was a genetic uh, malady. It was a, it was a, I don't you say a mistake, but it was, it was a, a misfortune that had happened. Well, there are some who are born with these kinds of issues. They may have the chromosomal issues or they may have different organs. They're referred to as hermaphrodites who have both. But they are less than 1% and others represented that they're less than 0.1%. In other words, we're not talking about people who are normal. We're talking about those who are uh, 
mistakes or misfortunes uh, in life. But many are clearly one gender and they want to look like the opposite. And I'm going to mention three that I know that you're familiar with. Bruce Jenner, uh, Chastity Bono, and Bradley Manning. And both of these are trying to gain attention. All of these are trying to, because of this cultural popularity now. You know, you didn't see this years ago. But now you can see a man who was a father, had children, dresses up like a woman, wants you to call him by a woman's name. He's still a man. You can put all kinds of dresses and lipstick on him. He's still a man. Or there's a young lady who was born as a woman to Sonny Bono and Cher, and her name was Chastity, and now she dresses like a man. She's still a woman. Or there's a man who was uh, caught a few years ago of selling uh, some of the secrets that were a part of our country. His name was Bradley Manning. And now he wants the government to pay for him to become a woman. And so he dresses up. He's still a man. Now, what does the Bible say? That's the question. You know, what is it and what does the Bible say about it? Does it say anything? Well... Well, the Caleb read to you just a few moments ago, and I want to put those words back on the screen because they're important. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, created he created him. Now listen carefully. Male and female, he created them. Male and female. God created Adam and God created Eve. He created the genders. In fact, there's so much more that you could even emphasize about that. Leviticus 18.22, Leviticus 20.13, Romans 1.26 and 27, Jude verse 7. There's no doubt that God intended men to be men, women to be women, and that the two of them be joined together. Listen to what Moses writes from God. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20.13 If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Romans 1.26 and 27 For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use For what is against nature? Likewise, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, receiving to themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. What you see is a clear, God says, I want a man and I want a woman and I don't want any confusion. In Jude verse 7, he says, As Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities around them, in similar manner to these, have given themselves over to sexual immorality, over to fornication, and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as examples, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. It wasn't that God just destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were, that's enough. They are suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And then a passage that cannot be overlooked is Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. 
A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. God wanted it to be clear. This is a male. This is a female. This is a man. This is a woman. And he wanted that distinction to be clear and to be plain. I will tell you that as Romans 1 verses 26 and 27 talks about nature, God in his divine wisdom provided that only the males and females can produce when brought together. Now, cultural trends are often a way of rebelling against the social norms. If a person was living in the 50s, they were swallowing goldfish. I know now that seems like that was nothing, but that was really a way of rebelling. In the 1960s and 1970s, when I was growing up, if you wanted to rebel, you wore long hair because your parents had short hair. And the common phrase, boy, go get your hair cut. Well, you want to look like a girl or something? Loud and worn out clothing, loud music. Those are the kinds of things that were meant to try to stir up the generation. In 1 Kings 14, verse 24, And there were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. You know, some people just want to say, well, we want to be like those nations round about us. They wanted to have a king so they could be like a nations round about us. They wanted to participate in the things. And there becomes almost a culture that says, we want to be like the worldly people. I'd suggest to you that this transgenderism is not really anything other than a cultural rebellion on the part of people that are, have no respect for God and no respect for his plans. Now I want you to think about the chaos that that brings in both a physical sense and in a spiritual sense. The bathroom issue. Many of us who have daughters or granddaughters do not want men dressed up as a woman or otherwise going into a place of privacy with our daughters and granddaughters. Think about what's happened, the male participation in female sports. You may not know it, but the ones who are winning in the fields of track, wrestling, cycling, are all boys who say, I'm identifying as a female. But think about spiritually speaking. What about the gender-specific roles within the church? You know, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 12 emphasizes about who leads the prayer. What about elders being the husband of one wife? What about preachers and teachers? Listen, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner, the women also adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Well, if here's a woman says, well, I think I, I identify as a man, so now I can be a preacher. Or now I can serve as an elder 
do you see the confusion that that brings? It brings confusion in marriage too. I've often thought about these people. A man says, I think I'm a woman. A woman says, I think I'm a man. Well, can the two of those get married? They both think there's something else. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6 is really plain. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus said, I want you to go back to the beginning. Our society today needs to read what God has put in his word. You know, when you go to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, it's a very simple statement, yet it's so profound. God is not the author of confusion. All of this confusion that's going on today didn't come from God. It has come from man. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 29, Truly this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they've sought out many schemes. The American standard says they've sought out many inventions. They're just looking for ways to be um, going away and straying from God. What is transgenderism and what is a Christian to do about it? Transgenderism is an affront. It's an abomination it is going away from God. What are Christians supposed to do about it? Christians are supposed to teach the truth. Christians are supposed to practice the truth. Well, what about the people in the world? Sometimes we can't do a thing in the world about their sinful ways. Some of them are going to be fornicators. Some of them are going to be idolaters. Some of them are going to be adulterers. But we can continue to preach and teach what God wants. The second question did the Lord forgive those people who crucified him in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34? You may remember while the Lord was on the cross that he said seven things. And the Lord, as he looked down and uh, from the cross, one of the first things he said was, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Now that's a real significant question. Did God forgive those people? And the real answer, I think, is when did he forgive them? Because there's no doubt that the Lord had the power to forgive sins. When the Lord looked at that robber who was next to him on the cross and he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Did the Lord have the power to forgive sins in Luke 5, 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins? He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. I want you to know that I have the power to forgive sins. Could Jesus forgive from the cross? There's no doubt that he had that power, that authority. But now here's what you've got to understand. The Lord has always had conditions for forgiveness. And when you start reading the scriptures, listen to Luke 17, 3. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. 
If he repents, forgive him. Well, Lord, what if he doesn't repent? You don't forgive him. Or 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I ask the question again, what if I won't confess my sins? What if I won't uh, forsake those sins? Mark 16, verse 16, this is Jesus. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Did the Lord have conditions for a person to be forgiven? The answer is yes. He does have conditions. But now here's the clear key part of this question. They do not know what they do. Now when someone is doing something and they don't know what they're doing, they're they're ignorant. Can you be merciful to them? Can you be patient with them? You have a little child that's doing something and they don't know what they're doing. Can you be patient with that child and understand and try to provide them information? Well, sure you can. The Apostle Paul, as he was persecuting the church, as he was holding the garments of those who were stoning Stephen, he believed that everything he was doing was right. He didn't know what he was doing. So what did the Lord do? He provides them with the knowledge that provides the forgiveness. You remember what Jesus said in John 8 and verse 32? If you abide my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, 31 and 32. You shall know the truth. The truth's what's going to make you free. Well, I go to Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching the sermon to those same people who had cried out to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. Here's what Peter says. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now you pause for just a minute. Everything leading up from verse 17 all the way through verse 36 has been to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And he is now tying the two things together. The Jesus whom you crucified is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? The only reason why they were cut to the heart is they realized they had been wrong. They realized that the person they had placed on the cross, whom they thought was an imposter, was in reality the Christ, the Son of the living God. So they're going to cry out, What must we do? Peter has said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the remission of sins. Now, they're the same ones who crucified Jesus. So when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, he's talking about the same group of people. 
Peter indicts them, says you're guilty for crucifying the Christ. But Peter provides them the means to receive that forgiveness. In fact, what he does, he says, now that you know that Jesus is the Christ, now that you are convinced of that, here's what you need to do. You need to repent and you need to be baptized. Those are the same things that Jesus himself had taught while he was on earth. Luke 17, 3, Mark 16, verse 16. Thus, they were forgiven after they had repented and were baptized but not immediately at the cross. So when Jesus looks down and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, he's begging for forgiveness for these people. But in order for them to be forgiven, they have to know what they've done and they have to ask the Lord's forgiveness in so doing. You see, there's always going to be issues that will arise that will force us to ask the question, what would God have me to do? I'm going to tell you, I feel like we're bombarded, it seems like, on an everyday basis with people who don't respect God and they don't respect His will and they want things to be done just their way. But I want to remind you, we don't need to forget to ask the answer to the most important, critical questions in life, and that is, what must I do to be saved and what must I do to remain saved? I want to go to heaven. And if I want to go to heaven, I need to know what Jesus has said. And if I want to go to heaven, I've got to keep doing what he said. If you're not a Christian, you need to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Repent of your sins, confess your faith in him and be baptized. Everything is ready for you tonight. The baptistry behind me is warm. We have garments that are set aside. Everything's ready. It's just your choice that needs to be made. But I'm sure among us, we probably have some that have sin in your life and it needs to be dealt with so that you can receive the forgiveness that God so generously offers. We're going to sing the song, All Things Are Ready. If you need to respond... Would you come as together we stand and sing?